0: We've been talking about the manifold grace of God, and, and this morning, we probably won't be here too long, but I, I want to talk to you about the, the word manifold is uh, poikilos, and poikilos we know, we've been learning that it means uh, degrees, shades, levels, layers, it's a variety of ways and methods that God can use. And we found out the word grace is haris, and, and haris, the basic definition is the superior always will render what is needed to the inferior. And we began this whole series about six weeks ago telling you that God is the superior in whatever that you need of, whether it be healing, salvation, peace of mind, um, whatever that you need, it comes through the grace of God. And, And it's more than just getting saved. That's just the beginning, not really the beginning because we've been talking about the prevenient grace of God. But so this is the concept that we've been telling you, that whatever that you have need of, it will require God's grace and God will give it to you. Now, last week, we, we began, there's five of them, and we talked about the first one called saving grace. We talked about this a little bit. Um, and so we're going to give you the, the description this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast about it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Leave that up for a moment. And so last week we talked about, I told you the word predestination. I talked about foreknowledge and some of you kind of gasp or went, run for the back door. Even in this verse, Paul is is unlayering the first level about that. God has always known and called you before the foundation of the earth. You just did not wake up one day, and say, hey, I think I'll get saved. It's kind of like being married. The man says, hey, I got a great idea. Let's do something. Well, it was her idea. She just let us think that it was our idea. That's the way it works. So the idea and the concept, before the earth began, God ordained salvation for us. Now, you've heard me say this, but see the word workmanship is called poema. We are his workmanship. Poema, poetry, a poem. And by definition, a poem is the expression of someone's seat of emotions, If you're happy and you're in love, you'll go buy a card that says, Rose are red, violets are blue. The world is crazy, but I love you. It says something like that. At the passing of the death of a loved one, you will probably go find a card that has writings that has a poem in it. There's something about poetry that we look at. And poetry gives you not all, the poetry gives rhyme and reason. So when you read a poem, I don't know about you, but I don't like to read, somebody say, well, I wrote a poem and it says, cats are red and dogs are blue and cows are pink and the seats are purple. That doesn't even make sense to me as far as a poem. Poem has rhyme and it has reason. It gives a sense of balance. It gives a sense of of flowing. Well, we use the word continuity. It, It flows, it connects. The Bible says we, as the people of God, are God's workmanship and it's more than just him putting the thing together it is the expression or we are the expression of God's love and grace to the world so when you when you look at this world of workmanship it's more than than God is Philip it's more than just God's putting us together it's way beyond that i understand he's putting us together but but why is he putting us together because he has plans and purposes for our lives And what is that? God said, I want to express my goodness and my grace to the whole world. And the best way that I know to do that is to put poetic people on the face of the earth. And the Bible said in Romans chapter three, that men come to repentance because they're afraid of hell? No, because the goodness of God. Men get born again. And women get born again because of the goodness of God. Now, if you got saved because you're afraid of hell, that, that's that's a wonderful motivation. But being afraid of hell will not get you to save. Only repentance of your sin and faith towards Jesus will get you into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, good minus God is zero. So, so we are the we are the poetry. We are living poems. Remember what Paul said? You are written epistles that all men may read. And the reason why he writes that, because before anybody could come to a city, they had to have a written letter. It had to be a resume. And the resume, is said, before we we'll let you in the city or the temple, you have to have a resume. And it has to be pretty uh, warranted resumes from people that are basically in good standing with the church and the city. They wouldn't let just anybody in. And Paul said, here, forget about the written letters of, 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 of your report cards of your... You are written epistles that all men can read. So somebody may say this, I don't know much about the Bible. It's okay. You should be a written epistle of what the Word of God says. Amen. And we're not going to always get it right. We're going to make mistakes. But I will tell you, when people do not... Most people know, you know, the only thing they know about the Bible... what." What it says on the outside. And somebody said, which part of the Bible is the best to read? Here's the deal. Whatever in the cover. That's the best part to read. We got that holy bible down, you know. Holy Bible, they call it. So this morning, we are the expression, we are the poetry. We are the poems that God has decided to write and express in human beings, and He put it upon this earth that people will watch our lives and somehow it would draw them to know more about the love of God. That's it. And I will tell you, I think as we get older, it gets a little, it gets a little better. For you that are just got born again and you're still struggling, just, just hang on, it's okay. Even though you throw your hip out of place playing a video game, I don't understand anything about that. Now, when we played Atari and duck-cutting Chicken Little, we, we, we didn't use our hips. I don't know what y'all people do now. The second one is that we cannot be saved without God's grace. You understand that? You can be good, but you cannot become a son or daughter of God without his grace. So if we're going to get saved, somebody say we're going to need his grace because he's got it and we don't. The second one is called a serving grace. A serving grace. There's five, and we're going to talk about one today. We're going to talk a half of one today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. This is the Message Bible. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life, but just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And that's how freedom grows. Did you know that's possible? We already, we already have guys on the corner that spent time on the other side of the bars. I don't mean like that bar. I mean like that bar. And even though that you're an American citizen, but if you do something to to, to violate your freedoms, you'll wind up where your freedoms are restrained. But you're still an American citizen. So it's possible for you to be born again and do dumb things. God will not retract your sonship. But there's consequences for disobedience. So you can be an American citizen and you go down the 7-Eleven, you can say, hey, I'm $3 short to get me a burrito. So you could hold him up. And what happens is you're still an American citizen, but you're going to go to a place where you are incarcerated, but you're still an American citizen. But your liberties have been restricted. You cannot lose your salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. I'll, I'll, I'll fight you day and night on that, but I will tell you, but that we should not have the spirit of stupidness in dealing with our salvation. And, and you're going to say, "Well, does that mean I can do anything I want to? Here's your sign. You cannot. Because if you violate the things of God, then somehow you're going to find yourself that you've lost your freedom. And, and, and this is what happens when you do stupid things. You ever notice the Bible says where the Spirit of Christ says there's, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's joy. And because of, of, of our days and our, and our bad habits and things that we do, we find ourselves we find ourselves losing the freedom that God has given us. So when we walk in the door, Sometimes it's because we've done something dumb this week. Anybody here besides me done anything dumb this week? Where's Ron as? Go ahead, Ron. Thank you. Uh huh. And then, and, and then last week, you know, we watched you last week. We watched you come in there. Everything was good. No arguments, no fighting. Woo, God is good all the time. And we watched you this morning. You barely made the door, but I'm glad you made it. What's wrong with you? Oh, nothing. Oh, something's wrong with you. I can smell it. See, your liberty and your freedom's been restrained until we say that two little magic word, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not so sorry I got caught. I'm sorry. I told you one time when my son Jeremy shot out all the windows of my van and, his, and Gail's mother and dad's house, I bought him a BB gun against the will of his mother. He was eight and I thought he needed a BB gun. She said he'll shoot out every window in the house. I said, no, he won't. He's a product of me. He will not. So I gave him the BB gun. I loaded him. I said, whatever you do, don't shoot your brother. And don't shoot anything with glass. That is the windows, the cars, the headlights. He goes, got it. Well, the next morning, her dad knocked on the door and said, you may want to come here. He shot out every glass in the house. Shut out the motorcycle window. Shut out a car headlight. I didn't whip him. And it wasn't my nature not to whip him. I just quit talking to him. I just, I didn't speak to him. And we were pretty good buddies, really. He was about five, six, seven, I don't know. I took the BB gun away from him. And he came up and said, hey, you want to play ball? And I just walked off. Oh, come on, Dad, let's do this. I just turned my back on him. I didn't enjoy it. And what happens is that when we do done things, it never removes your sonship. It only removes your relationship. And have you ever, ever noticed that if, even a husband, wife, not that we would ever do it, but have you ever noticed where's AJ? Have you ever noticed that maybe when you enjoy and may not agree, you know, it, it's, it's a quarter of a mile from one side of that bed to the other? <laughs> so the Apostle Paul said, don't use your liberty and your freedom to do dumb things? Because if you do, that it'll be restricted. You won't won't have the freedom of loving God. But love one another, serve one another. That's how freedom grows. Okay? So this morning, here's a verse that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. We're not going to look at it. I want to read it to you because we're going to get to it next week. It says, finally, my brethren, which is Adelphus, which means a, a woman's uterus, it means that... This is how we're born, by the the womb or the uterus of the Holy Spirit. We are born again of God. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The word finally is the word I want you to look at this morning. Finally is a term to describe something of great importance. So basically he's saying something like this. In conclusion, Paul said that I've saved the, the very most important issue of this epistle until the very end of this letter. So if you don't remember anything that I've said, I want this to stand out and remain in your memory. Finally. So it's a strange thing for him to say, but we're going to get to it. And the reason why he does this is because that is dealing with serving one another. In the church, there there are only two basic functions in the church, Two, evangelism and service. That's it. Evangelism is where we get a Greek word for it called euangelos. You Eu is beautiful, and agalos is where we get a word for messenger or the message that people bring. Evangelism means it's the good news about Jesus Christ. And then the second one is service. And everything that we do here is wrapped up in these two. It's a wonderful thing to have the evangelism of the gospel, but I will tell you that it's got to go a little, one step past that. We've got to get it out. As James 1 and 22 says this, just don't be a hearer, a crotes of the word, be a doer. The word doer is the word called poetis or a performer or what a performing artist does where we get a word for Poetry. Don't just come in here and hear noises. Acrotase is a word for acoustics. Don't just come in here and hear sounds and hear noises and and hear me say things like blah, 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 blah. Hear the word and go perform it. Go be a light in a dark place. Go be a salt in a world that's lost its seasoning. Instead of complaining about it, change your world. So when you deal with service, I want you to know, number one, not only does it take grace of God to get us saved, it's going to take the grace of God to help you serve one another. Ooh. And if you haven't learned that, you just got saved yesterday. Because trying to serve people that don't really want to be served is a very hard thing to do and keep a spirit of love about you. Am I the right church? I guess I am. I see the white piano. So in Ephesians contains some of the greatest and deepest theological points in the New Testament. And, I, I, and I'm going to read about 10. And, and I, want you to, I want you to look at these. The election of the saints, one and four. The predestination work of God, 1 in 5. The adoptions of the sons of God, 1 in 5. The dispensation of the fullness of times, which talks about Christ and the fullness, 1 in 10. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, 1 in 13. The earnesty of the Holy Spirit, 1 in 14, which is a Greek word for our bond, means down payment. The power of God upon every believer, 1 in 19. The riches of God's grace upon every believer, chapter 2, 1 through 10. God's eternal plan for us as children of God, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. The fivefold ministry of the church, 4, 11 through 13. Then filling of the Holy Spirit upon the people, 5 and 18 and 19. Plus there's practical instructions dealing with the relationship between other believers. Chapter four twenty-five. The relationship between believers and the world, Ephesians five three and six. The relationship between husbands and wives, Ephesians five twenty-two. The relationship between parents and children, Ephesians six. Children obey your parents. Hupotasso. It means to get under rank. It's a military term. The relationship between employers and employees, Ephesians 6 and 5, and the list goes on. Just as some churches today, the Ephesian church had accumulated a wealth of information concerning the personality and the plan of God, but that information itself was not enough to keep that church stable and strong. The reason why I went to, to give you a list of, of the deep theological teachings of the church of Ephesus, because Paul gave them information that none of the others got. These things that I told you in the form, he speaks to the Ephesian church in, in, in a college level. But in a carnal level, they were all preschoolers because they still could not get along. Just because you have a wealth of information brought to you every Sunday morning in this church house, whether you agree or disagree, like it or dislike it, you're going to get it. But just because you get information doesn't mean that it's going to change your life until it gets in you and the power of God begins to rearrange some furniture in your life. The church of Ephesus was living proof of this. They had the college level of teaching. Everything from the predestination, foreknowledge, the, the work of God, the counsel of God, the, the, all these things. Paul just, just laid it all out. He revealed to them the, the mysteries and the plans of God, everything. Everything. And, and and they took all the notes and said, we got it, we got it, we got it. And I'm going to tell you right now, they ain't got it. And there's no saying that you've heard me say, dealing with, with Scripture. People are always informed, often conformed, but unfortunately, they're never transformed. So what does that mean? Well, it's very simple. I'm always going to give you the information and the word conformity, means that you're going to try to do better or mold yourself in, in the fashion of certain things. But, but the bottom line is we never find ourselves transformed. And as Romans chapter 12 says, that we are transformed metamorphosed by the renewing of our mind. Nobody can make you do anything, hardhead, but once you get your mind renewed, then you will prove or live out what is the perfect and acceptable and the, the the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God he says and those are all steps and stages of a man's growth so the idea this morning the reason why this is so important when you deal with serving grace is because Paul is dealing with a group of people when he says finally be strong in the lord and you know he used the word finally he said you are not paying attention have you ever dealt with a kid and they're not listening Paul has laid out and poured out his heart, everything from the workmanship of God to the being foreordained, Ephesians chapter one, that we, we are called and ordained before the foundations of the world. He set it in motion for his good pleasure and all these things. And by the time he talks about the predestination work of God, the, the foreordination things of God, how the church is born again, and all these things, by the time he gets to chapter number six, as we read to you, he says, finally, or You're, you haven't been listening to anything I've said. So this is what he said. If you haven't listened to anything I've said, which they haven't, would you please listen to this? So let me give you a little clue this morning what's going on. Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 31. This is the group that he's speaking to. Now, for some of you that don't know this, let me give you a little church history. In between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, there's a small epistle called Titus. And there's about a three-year span between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In that three-year span between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Titus writes this letter, or Paul writes it to Titus, and the church in Ephesus is over 30,000 strong. Three years later, they're down to nearly nothing. Now, normally you can look around and the church is really pretty full. Today, it's about half. Now, I know, some, hey, we got a bunch on a cruise and I'm mad they're, they're gone. But to have 30,000 plus in one year and three years later to have nothing but ashes and 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 the dissembling of the church body in three years. It's gotta be devastating. And for all you people that, that are falling this bandwagon of, of, of the bigger is the best and And the grander is the greatest. Listen, those things and those ministries, if they're not built upon Christ, can crumble as fast as they went up. You better build your life upon the foundation of Christ and Him crucified and resurrected and and reigning forever and ever. Don't get off in this other stuff because it will disappoint you. So now, then, Paul is telling Timothy in the first Timothy, he's giving good words of information, but the time he gets to second Timothy, he said, you better buckle up, buttercup, because it's all going to get bad. Now, this is what he's dealing with. Watch this. This is the church that he's dealing with. Therefore, each of you. Now, we're not talking about bar rooms. Stay with me here. Do not go to sleep on me. Each of you, you must put off falsehood. Falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. It means people in the church. He's not talking about people on a street corner. He's dealing with the congregation. This is why he says, finally, you're not hearing anything I've told you through Ephesians 1 through 6. And I've told you enough that it, it should suffice you for the rest of your life, but you're not getting it. You're just hearing blah, 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 and da, da, da. Each one of you, you've got to quit lying. <laughs> this is the church that's on fire speaking in tongues and running around the building. But they went from 30,000 to zero in less than two and a half years. I don't want that. He said, you got to quit. Put out the falsehood and, and, and being hypocritical and, and something that you're not and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we all are members of one body and that one body is what? Christ. All right. It gets better. <laughs> and in your anger, uh, do not sin. I didn't think we we're supposed to get mad. I didn't think we we're supposed to get angry. And don't let the sun go down upon your wrath while you're still angry. He's talking to church people. He's probably talking to the board members of the church. What are y'all doing? What are you doing over there? What are you doing sticking your tongue at one another? What are you doing writing nasty letters and and flying them across the church in an airplane? What are you doing giving them hand signals with with only one finger? What are y'all doing? We, We are the body of Christ. What are we doing here? The hate and the sarcasm, what are we doing to one another? Paul said it's pretty obvious you're not getting it because if you'd have got it, you wouldn't be acting. Let's go. It gets better. Don't give the devil a foothold. The Bible said in the King James don't give, don't give places to the devil. It's where we're going to work for photography or topography, the land of the lay, lay landscape. Anyone who has been stealing, what? Any of you that have been stealing, you gotta quit it. <laughs> you can't make this up. So, to my church members, you gotta quit lying. You wanna go back to the verse? Verse, start it over. You gotta quit lying, and you gotta put quit putting on a hypocritical act. You ain't you ain't that big of a deal. Okay, number two, you gotta quit stealing. And and. And, and, and you got to work and do something useful with your own hands that that they may have something to share with those in need. It means that you, you just got to quit coming in here and being a slug on a sidewalk and expecting everybody to pay your part and do your part. That's got to stop. We all have a part. Yeah. We, gotta park, we got a part. We got an obligation to give money to pay for these air conditioners that are not working today. And you can say, well, I'm hot, but Danny DeVore's got more money. I know he does, but you're going to have to quit stealing and you've got to do your part. Whatever that is, do something. Don't expect other people to do your part because that's not what the Bible says. And as a matter of fact, he causes stealing. So if, if we need people that meet you and greet you, facilitate you, do something with your hands. Verse 29, and don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know what that means? It's a Greek word, quit cussing. I'm not going to look. Anybody here cuss? Quit it. Cussing is more stupid than it is sinful. It's true. So, if it's unwholesome talk, and so this is what I mean in the nicest way. If, if you got a bad habit of cussing, you need grace because you can't do it on your own. You can get mad and you can get embarrassed and you can say, well, I'm I'm doing my very best, but every time I slam the door on my finger, it comes, you know what? I, I can do this. You cannot. You cannot do anything to improve or enhance a supernatural spirit that's living in you. That's why you need grace. Amen. And the only reason why you have it because you're telling God you don't need it and you need it. And just like you say, oh God, I don't need you to get saved, I'm good. You are not good. And for you to say, oh, I can handle people in church, especially this section over here, I can handle them. You cannot handle this section over here without grace. So quit cussing. And what is helpful for building others according to the needs, that it may be beneficial to those that listening. It means this, quit saying things that are tearing people absolutely down, destroying their life. We should use our words to build one another up. I mean, I mean people does dumb things. they say, you're an idiot. I mean, you don't have to do that. You could basically say, well, some you do, but you could basically say, listen, I'm not your daddy and I'm not your boss, but if it was me, this is probably the way I would handle this. After throwing wrenches and getting mad and losing your temper, because if you do that, you've just lost the credibility of witness. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore, but nobody's going to pay attention to ask what you got to say. It gets better. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God don't grieve. And you've heard me say this, the word grieve, I mean, the word grieve, it means in the Greek, it means for a four-year-old to embarrass their father. You cannot grieve the spirit of God. How in the world can you grieve God? If you're going to suppose to live a life in front of millions of people, then quit sleeping around on your wife. Be faithful to your wife. Okay. And that's not rumors. That's facts. So he talked about don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It means that you can do things that, that would spook God off. You can't spook God off. How can you spook God off? The word grieve, it means to embarrass. It means a, a four or five or six year old boy or girl to embarrass their father at a business meeting. So you've heard me say this and this is the way it is. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You never take your, you never take your three year old grandson at a business meeting. Because your three-year-old grandson or four-year-old grandson named Alex would say, do you know my dad, he blows bubbles in the bathtub, something like that, you know? (laughs) My mama picks her nose and nobody's looking. I mean, you don't say, even though that it may be true. And God said, would you quit saying things that is embarrassing me? That's not who I am. That's not who I am. So he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit in verse number 31, and get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, fighting, slander, along with every type of malice. Now, let me, before you leave this, let, let me explain to you the last word. Bitterness is a word called pakra, it means it's a poisonous plant mixed with water. Rage is, is external things. Anger is internal things. The the word wrath in the King James is used. We got to go, but I, I need to tell you this. Rage and anger is the same amount of dynamite. The King James used the word wrath. We'll use the word rage. It's 10 pounds of dynamite. that's blowing up buildings everywhere around you. Anger is 10 pounds of dynamite. And it's on the inside of you, blowing up everything on the inside of you you may not externally let it out, but it's destroying you on the inside. Somebody said, well, I would rather get mad and just let it out. Well, I mean, that you know I understand that, but after you blow up on everybody, it's really not the best thing to do. And he's telling the church, you've got to quit going off on one another. You've got to quit blowing up on one another. You've got to quit poisoning people with your words. And the word malice, Malice is premeditated murder with actually without the murder. Y'all are looking at me like I'm in, I don't know what I'm talking about. Malice means I know what you said about me last week. I know what you said. I heard it under your breath. And I haven't said anything to you but I've hit you in the head with a ball hammer every night while counting sheep. I run you and dump you off a bridge every day in my dreams. Oh, I'm not going to say anything to you, but I'm going to tell you right now. In my thoughts, every time I walk by you, I just want to hit you in the head with a ball bat. This is going on in the church. And ladies and gentlemen, before, and they're about as quiet as you are today. It's okay. It's all right. I don't care. After 34 years of this, I don't care. You still keep coming back. I don't care. But here's the deal. No wonder the church imploded. Amen. On our own and by ourselves, we can destroy and ruin the very thing that God has established on our own and by ourselves and left to our own, I will mess it up. I don't know how to serve you. I don't know how to deal with you. I don't know how to be kind to you when you said unkind things about me. I know you did. I heard you in the bathroom. I heard it on the phone. I saw it in the text message. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what to do with you. That's why we need grace. Because if serving wonderful people was all that we had to serve, it would be an easy thing. But when we got to serve people like the guy over in the corner, it's challenging. Does this sound like a, a church full of victorious saints? Were there words of war being waged within the flock and had Paul located a crack in their foundation? All through scriptures, we find saints that just could not get along with others. And here's the old saying, where two or three are gathered in his name, you can count on somebody starting an argument. (laughs) So we'll quit for today. Serving grace is the patience and the perseverance that's given by God so that we may serve one another in love in spite of others' response. And just a reminder, some people will require more grace than others. Micah six and eight and nine. But he's already made it plain how to live and what to do, what God is looking for in men and women, and it's really quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Just take God seriously. Isn't that great? So we're going to say and do some things that probably we should not say and do at certain times in our life. I know some of you are aware of this, but when the church first started in the book of Acts, man, we had an outpouring. Ooh, baby, we had an outpouring. And I mean the machine of God was going. There was miracles, there was healings, there was outpourings, there were all these things that the power of God was really moving. But the thing that threw the wrench in the whole gearbox of the mechanics of God going forward was first found in Acts chapter five, and it was a complaint about serving. Somebody felt like they wasn't getting enough attention. And it caused a big old problem. And someone said, well, the Jewish women, they they get two biscuits and us Grecians, we only get one and we don't think it's fair. And so they formed their own committee and that committee turned into a mob and that mob turned into a riot. And now then before you know it, they went to the apostles and they said, hey, we need some help here. They're they're getting two biscuits and we're getting one. And this is what they said. Is this a joke? Are y'all kidding me? Is this a joke? You're you're splitting the church over biscuits and gravy? Have y'all not been listening? Have y'all not seen what God is doing? And the apostle says, we don't have time for this. We're not going to take time for this. This is carnal and this is foolish. Now pay attention to me for 30 seconds. You people that understand board members in the church, here we go. The apostle said, we refuse, we refuse to get involved into carnal things. You do what you need to do. You go appoint men, whatever you need to do. But we are going to adhere ourselves to the word of God because we want the power of God to continue among us. And so they got them seven board members. And when they nominated the seven board members, immediately they killed one. And the church fractured at that moment. Don't take yourself so seriously. Let's take God seriously. And Paul said that all through the book of Ephesians about his love and grace, His forgiveness, his acceptance, his plans for you and all these things. He gets to chapter six and he says, finally, he says, you're not listening. I've been preaching my heart out and you still don't get it. He's dealing with a church that's so carnal that they can't control their tongue, their language and their poison and their maliciousness against one another. He said, can we just stop all this? And can we just come to the point where we can look around and say, maybe this is not working. Maybe my marriage is not working right now. Maybe my home is not working right now. Maybe my Christian walk is not working right now. I'm going through the motions, but maybe not working. And so here's what we got to do is we just got to stop and say, God, I just need your grace to help me serve the body of Christ. And I know, I know John Jones is a little ornery, but if you'll help me, I'll win him over. And I'm so glad God won him over. You're not the easiest person. Turn to somebody and say, you're not the easiest person to get along with you're Just tell them that. I don't care. You know what? God's got more grace than you got stubbornness. Amen. We've been called to one body, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is not the Jody Hamm show. This is not the Casey Benchland show. This is not the Travis Ginn show. We are one body. It's not about a Baptist. It's not about a Methodist. It's not Republican. It's not a Democratic thing. This better be a God thing. As the angel stood on Joshua, the angel said, Joshua, at the gates of Jericho, the angel, Joshua looked, the angel said, are you on our side or their side? And the angel said, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on God's side. We have a wonderful opportunity to expand the body of Christ in love and forgiveness and unity, serving grace. But make no mistake about it, we're going to need His grace if we're going to serve one another, agreed? Now in 34 years, shut your Bibles and close your eyes. You know to close your eyes. In the last 34 years, there's times that people come in this church and I've gone home and I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm fixing to kick them out of the church. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna tell him right now, I'll fist fight you, we'll go in the parking lot, we're gonna do I am sick and tired of your mentality. Then <sighs> somewhere in the middle of the night, God said, now is that really the thought you should have? And I would say, God, I don't wanna talk about it right now. He said, I wanna talk about it. I wanna waller in this right now with you. You know what I had to do? I had to recalibrate my whole thought system For while we were yet unlovely and ungodly, Christ died for us. So I made it a point to send a card, make a phone call or meet you next Sunday morning and say, I love you and I want to be a great pastor to you. That's called serving grace. Let's serve one another with love. Can we do that? And how do we get it? It's just the grace of God. Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering if you would. God's good this morning. There's no doubt about it, Father, that we have come to this resolve that we are saved by grace. It's not a works. It's nothing we can do. It's nothing we can improve on. It's completely out of our hands. It's, it's just totally you. You give us the, the ability to, to become sons and daughters of God and we accept that. But now then help us to accept the next step when it comes to serving the body of Christ. We're all different. We're all different shapes, likeness, colors, heights, sizes, we're all different. And we're not trying to conform us one to another, we're trying to conform ourselves to Christ our King. So help us this morning. As we, read, as we read the Apostle Paul was dealing with the church that had anger and issues and, and cussing and foul mouth and swearing, and no wonder the church imploded. Help us right now to stop wherever we're at and ask you to give us grace that we may serve one another in the spirit of unity and love and forgiveness that whatever we say and do from this day forward, that people will know that is the grace of God that is working in our life to help us serve one another. There's no greater love that a man can show when he lays down his life for another. There's no greater love this morning in this local church is when you can come to this place where you will lay down your goals and your ambitions and your personal desires for someone else. There's no greater love that can be seen that when you will remove yourself from a platform and you will humble yourself and meet someone and facilitate someone that may be hurting or struggling, that is Serving grace. It's it's service that we cannot do without God. So you may say here this morning, "My, my home's in a mess, my family's in a mess, I can't fix it. You are exactly right. But God can. God's got more grace than you have sin. He's got more grace than you have disobedience. Now you understand why we need his grace. Father, thank you this morning for the love of God. Thank you for the body of Christ and thank you for this church that truly people love you and they truly have a desire to grow together. Please give us supernatural grace that we may serve one another with love and kindness and forgiveness and generosity, that the whole world will see that we are nothing more than expression of your poetry in action. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Turn about two people and give them a big old hug and say, listen, I love you. Uh, At first, I, I, I had concerns about you, but I love you. You need him. Communion service, please come. Listen to me, you need him. You need God's grace. Not just to save you, you need God's grace to serve one another with liberty and freedom. You don't know it this morning, but these two young men over here, Z and Joe, raise your hand, boys. Yeah, you're standing right there, you're good. I got to meet them in the parking lot. Got to meet them in the parking lot for a church. I'm glad you're here, son. This boy's daddy is a pastor and I'm glad he's here. They were on skateboards, and I thought about riding a skateboard, but I thought about not doing that. (laughs) God has a way this morning of calling and drawing and moving and shaping. He has a way this morning of, he knows who is his. So as we celebrate Holy Communion this morning, you fellas and the rest of you, you come celebrate communion. 2000 years ago, Jesus said in the middle of men that were absolutely, that were imploding mentally, physically, there was a a decline in, in their agreement one to another. They were at war with one another sitting at the table. There were words of war that were being spoken at the Last Supper. They were coming apart, being fragmented, but Jesus knew the answer. And this is what he said. This bread is my body that will be broken for you. John 6 said his manna was sent from heaven and they ate of the manna and they still hungered, but I am the manna that my father has sent. And if any man eat of me, He will never hunger again. And they shared the bread. And he took the cup and he said, This cup is symbolic of the ram's blood that was placed upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And my father will take my own blood and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this bread. Take this cup, quit fighting, quit arguing, quit complaining, and remember me. Father, thank you for giving us the grace for the day for every prodigal son that's making his way home. Thank you. For every young daughter that's climbing back out of a back alley of rejection and denial. Thank you. Give them the grace they need to restore them. In Jesus' name, amen.